podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This episode is going to be all about our friendly match against Vizla Krakow on Wednesday. I have two parts for you today. In part one, I'll talk all about our tactics and some standout players in the match. And in part two, we'll speak to Viola Nation writer Trevor Steins, who's not an Apple fan, but he was at the match, and he will tell us all about the environment and the allure of Serie A in Poland. So let's start with an assessment of the match, which was played in Poland, and which is of course the home of Piotr Zielinski. The match was played in front of a fairly crowded Stadion Henrik Reniana. If you've never heard of Wisla Krakow, they play in the PKO Ekstraklasa, which is the top flight of Polish football. Last season, they finished in 13th out of 16 teams in the league. So you would think this would have been a walk in the park, but it was not. Now, I normally don't provide match summaries, but I suspect a lot of people didn't get to watch this match, so today I will. Bear with me if you did happen to watch the match. Surprisingly, Krakow had a lot more of the ball in the opening quarter of the match than I was expecting, and we played a fair bit of time defending. Krakow even scored the opening goal of the match after a costly mistake by Amir Rachmani, but Napoli settled down after that and took control of the match. It seemed only a matter of time before we equalized. We should have equalized around the half-hour mark when Elif Elmas won a penalty kick. Unfortunately, Matteo Politano's penalty kick was really poorly taken, and was stopped by Krakow's 19-year-old goalkeeper Mikolai Biganski. Politano made up for it in the second half though with a lovely taking goal with about half an hour left to play. This was a typical Politano goal. He received the pass at the touchline, dribbled towards the top of the box, and fired low and hard into the bottom corner. Biganski got a hand on the ball, but it wasn't strong enough to keep the shot out. Krakow had their fair share of chances in the second half and actually scored a second goal, but it was ruled out due to offside. I'm not sure that this was the right decision. On the replay, it looked to me like Koulibaly might have played Sefrin Sota onside. There was no VAR because this was a friendly, but if there was, I think it would have been a tight decision. Then with only 5 minutes left to play, Zinedine Mashash fired into the roof of the goal to put Napoli ahead, so we left it late but managed the 2-1 win. Thankfully, I didn't see too many panicked Napoli fans after this performance. The squad didn't look terribly motivated to play this one. Even Spalletti didn't seem particularly interested in the match. I can think of two reasons for that. The first is simply the opponent. Even though they're professionals and even though a lot of these players are fighting for places in the squad, it's just harder to motivate yourself for a friendly against Vizla Krakow than it is against a club like Bayern Munich. The other reason is because so many players, many of whom are regular starters, didn't travel with the squad to Poland. Alex Meret, Sebastiano Luperto, Giovanni Di Lorenzo, Fauzi Gulam, Luca Palmiero, Diego Deme, Fabian Ruiz, Michael Foloruncho, Amato Ciciretti, Lorenzo Insigne, Aramunas, Chucky Lozano, Dries Mertens, Victor Osemen, Gennaro Tutino, and Andrea Petania did not make the trip. These players were either hurt, kept out for precautionary reasons, on the verge of being transferred out of the club, or just got back from vacation. 
So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Vizla Krakow lined up in a 4-3-3 with Mikolai Biaganski in goal. Sefren Sota and Mikkel Friedrich lined up at centre-back. Matej Hanusek started at left-back and Konrad Grunskowski played at right-back. Ashraf El Madwi started as the regista behind Mikhail Skwarka and Nikola Kuveljic. Matthews Milinski started on the left wing, Ya Yebwa started on the right wing, and Felicio Brown Forbes started at striker. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti lined up in a 4 2 3 1 with Davido Spina in goal. Kaladu Kulibali and Amir Rachmani started at center back. Mario Rui played at left back, and Kevin Malqui started at right back. Stanislav Lobotka and Elif Elmas played in the double pivot again. Karim Zadatka played on the left wing. Matteo Politano played on the right wing. Piotr Zelinski played in the 10 spot. And Zinedine Mashash started up top. Okay, so let's get to the match. Because we were missing so many players, it's difficult to make any real assessments of our tactics. But I do want to talk about our setup. I mentioned in my review of the Bayern Munich match that we lined up in a 4-2-3-1 on paper. I specifically said on paper because our formation rarely looks like a 4-2-3-1 in practice. There's definitely four at the back and there's definitely one up top, but there's so much movement in between that to call this setup a 4-2-3-1 would be an oversimplification. At times it is, but other times, including in this match, it was quite clearly a 4-3-3. We saw Lobotka play as the Regista in behind Elmas who played more forward, and Zielinski who dropped a little deeper. Now, that could be because we used Elmas in the double pivot and he's just not accustomed to that role, but I imagine Spalletti would have corrected that at the break if he didn't like what he saw. I suspect this is precisely how Spalletti wants to play. He wants lots of movement, he wants players to interchange positions, that's certainly something Spalletti is known for specifically during his first spell at Roma. There the movement was more between the attacking players, the 9 and the 10, whereas here we're seeing the movement in the midfield. We'll have to keep our eyes on this, it's too early to judge considering he hasn't had half of our regular starters at his disposal. I think it's pretty obvious where Insigne and Di Lorenzo will play, but I'm very curious to see how Spalletti uses a player like Fabian Ruiz. Early in his time at Napoli, Fabian had success playing as an attacking midfielder, then he struggled in that role under Gattuso. Finally, last season, after returning from COVID, he really embraced the role of defensive midfielder and played really well. So we'll see how Spalletti uses Fabian. I imagine our first glimpse of that will be at our first friendly at Castel di Sangro on Sunday. Regardless of how we set up in the attack, it seems we will defend with at least 9 players behind the ball. The way we set up defensively in this match was pretty much the same way we defended under Gattuso. It was either a 4-5-1 or a 4-4-2 when Zielinski pressed. We didn't see the 3-5-2 in this match that we saw against Bayern, but that's likely because we didn't take the lead until the 85th minute, which doesn't leave much time to change tactics. I have one final comment on tactics. Last episode I talked about the set piece we've been practicing on goal kicks. We got a great example of that in this match. Matteo Politano's goal actually started with that very set piece. Ospina passed to Rachmani, he passed back to Ospina, and Ospina played the ball forward to Labotka, who dropped to show for the pass. The only difference between this play and what we talked about last time was that on this occasion, Labotka turned into space instead of playing a one-touch pass to his fullback. That's a subtle play, but I wonder if that's the result of the training sessions between the Bayern match and this one. After the Bayern match, I mentioned that this set piece looks great when it works, but could be costly when it doesn't, and that we can't force the pass when it's not on. 
We also know from one of our very first training sessions at Di Mauro that Spalletti spoke to Diego Deme privately and he revealed in his first press conference at Di Mauro that they talked about how Deme needs to have his head on a swivel. Now, we haven't had the privilege to see the latest training sessions, but given Deme's injury, it wouldn't surprise me if Spalletti has had the same conversation with Lobotka, the regista has to be aware of his surroundings and he has to decide when to play the one-touch pass and when to hold the ball. In this case, he saw the space in the middle of the field, which I think was there because the Krakow players were beginning to fatigue at that point. That allowed Lobotka to progress the ball forward before spraying it out wide to Politano on the wing. And just like that, the ball ends up in the back of the goal. But it all started with that set piece. Alright, let's move on to some standout performances. I have five players I want to talk about, four of whom had strong performances and one who did not. Let's start with the poor performance so we can end on a positive. Unfortunately, that was the play of Amir Rachmani. He was obviously at fault for the goal we conceded very early in the match. If you didn't see the game, Rachmani received a pass from Mario Rui at the top of his own box. He appeared to have quite a bit of space in front of him, so he carried the ball forward. He received the pass well, but his second touch was a bit heavy, and that space that was in front of him dissipated pretty quickly. Credit to Skvarka, who closed down Rachmani really quickly and intercepted the pass. That turnover ultimately led to the goal scored by Brown Forbes. That wasn't the only turnover Rachmani committed in this match. He made two more errant passes in the second half, and both times he conceded possession in dangerous areas. The first was shortly after the restart. Rachmani picked up the ball deep in our own end, and it looked like he was trying to play a long ball but didn't quite get under it enough. Instead, he passed straight into the chest of Kuljevic at the edge of our area. Fortunately, nothing came of that. Then in the 58th minute, he played a pass intended for Kevin Malqui, but the pass was weak and Rachmani and Malqui were just not on the same page there. That led to a counterattack and eventually a shot on target after Koulibaly fouled Diabwa. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Rachmani. If I'm not mistaken, this was the first start he's gotten this summer. Manolas and Koulibaly have been dominating the playing time, and I'd rather him get the mistakes out of his system in a meaningless friendly than in a live match. I'm sure he's not too happy with himself though, this was a chance to impress his new manager, and he didn't take it. With the summer that Manolas and Koulibaly have had, they were always going to be the starters in the league, and I suspect that Rachmani will still get his minutes in the Europa League and in the Coppa Italia, and if we advance in those competitions, then Rachmani will probably still get some time against some of the weaker opposition in the league. So that was the one poor performance, let's move on to the strong performances. The one player who's getting a lot of attention after this match, and deservedly so, is Zinedine Mashash. He was one of five players to play the full 90 minutes. Amir Rachmani, Ali Felmas, Stanislav Lobotka, and Karim Zadadka were the other four. Of course, he scored the match winner and his second goal in as many friendlies after scoring the third goal against Bayern Munich. Both goals were beautifully taken against Bayern. He scored from distance with a right-footed shot that dipped and swerved away from the keeper. In this match, he took on and beat David Sot and blasted a left-footed shot into the roof of the goal from a tight angle. He also should have had an assist in the first half. He picked up the ball around midfield, dribbled past Friedrich, so he's clearly confident and capable of taking players on. Then he played Zadatka clear on goal, but Zadatka wasn't able to beat Bigansky. Credit to the keeper for coming off his line so quickly, even if the finish wasn't great there. I thought Mishash was very lively, he was very involved, I thought it was interesting how deep he was playing as a striker, I'm not quite sure if he was directed to play that way by Spalletti, but it was effective nonetheless, 
and as a result of these two performances, a lot of people are hoping Meshash stays with the club. The issue is, I don't know where we're going to find the space. If you look at our 23-man squad, I'd say 19 of the 23 positions are already taken. We have three keepers, Koulibaly, Manolas, Rachmani, Di Lorenzo, Mario Rui, Diego Deme, Lobotka, Fabian Ruiz, Elmas, Zielinski, Insigne, Lozano, Politano, Osimhen, Mertens, and Petania. Even if you sell Koulibaly, you'd have to buy another center back, and if you sell Petania, I think we'd rather keep Tutino than Meshash. Now, of those four vacant positions, we need another left back, and I didn't even include Gulam in the list, and the reports are that he's recovering well. You need a backup or right back, which I think will be either Kevin Malqui or Alessandro Zanoli. You need a fourth center back, which could be a player from our Primavera, like Costanzo, or maybe Di Lorenzo plays as that fourth option, but in that case, you likely need another fullback in the squad to cover Di Lorenzo's position. And finally, we need another defensive midfielder to backfill Bakayoko's position, and if you believe the rumors, that could be Bakayoko himself. So there isn't really any room for Mashash. I suppose he could play in the Fabian role if we sold Fabian, but that would be a major downgrade. Most likely, if we sell Fabian, we'll spend some of that money on a replacement. So the only way I can see Mashash staying at Napoli is if he stays as a squad player, meaning a player who trains with the team and is available to be on the 23-man squad if needed. That could well be the place for him, but I think if there's interest from other clubs, specifically for a loan, the club would seriously consider that. It means we'll bring in a bit more cash, and it gives Mashash the opportunity to play. Apparently, Como have expressed interest in him, but I suspect more clubs will come calling after this performance. Another player that I thought played really well was Elif Elmas. As I said, he too played the full 90 minutes. I think Spalletti is intentionally playing his midfielders longer to get their fitness levels up for the start of the season. Elmas has his faults, but fitness is certainly not one of them. He simply does not slow down, though I think he may actually benefit from slowing down a little bit and being a bit more deliberate. I thought he was particularly effective in the first half. His biggest contribution, of course, was winning that penalty kick. It's too bad he didn't get to take the shot himself. It was likely determined before the match who would take the penalties, and Politano joked after the match that it's a good thing that Insigne is the dedicated penalty taker on the squad. But all in all, I thought this was another impressive performance from Elmas. A player who's been a pleasant surprise for me is Mario Rui. I thought he was very good against Bayern Munich, and I thought he was very good in this match as well. He was running up and down the left wing and putting himself in a position to play the cross. He won a couple of corner kicks doing that. When he did get forward, he often stayed high and pressed the ball. He took a couple of free kicks, including one that he bent around the wall and didn't miss by much, and he got a yellow card, which is not typically something you would praise, but for me, it was a positive because it showed how passionate this guy is. He didn't get the card for the foul he committed on Yeboa. It was for the choice words he had for the match official after the foul. That's what I like most about Mario Rui. He has a fire in him that I wish more players on this team had. And actually, I don't blame him for being upset. He won the ball on that tackle and Yeboa made a meal of it as he did when Koulibaly fouled him later in the match. Now, I'm not quite ready to give Mario Rui the starting left back role but he's certainly making a case for it. With Hisai leaving and Gulam being an injury risk, I think we do still need to purchase another left back, so it would be interesting to see if the club goes for a potential starter like an Emerson Palmieri or a Reynildo Mandava, or if they go for a cheaper option to maybe back up Mario Rui. Mario Rui and his agent Mario Giuffredi have made it quite clear that their plan is to restore the player's value after it took a hit under Gattuso, 
and then look to move on next season. So as much as we're linked to other players, it wouldn't shock me in the least if we stuck it out with Mario Rui for one more season and then made a bigger splash next season. The last player I think deserves a quick mention is David Ospina. He's been with the team for less than a week since returning from summer vacation after representing Colombia in the Copa America, but he looked very sharp in this match. He actually made a great play after Rachmani turned the ball over in the opening minutes of the match. Ospina raced off his line and got to the ball before Skvarka did. Unfortunately, it fell right to Brown Forbes and he scored in the empty goal. Ospina made a couple of decent saves as well. He stopped Yeboah's long-range free kick after that foul by Koulibaly, and then he made another decent save on Yeboah in the 76th minute. You would have expected him to make both of those saves, but nonetheless, I thought this was a solid performance from Ospina. So even without a number of players, this was a good showing. We showed that we can come from behind, so Spalletti must be happy with the performance, even if he did occasionally look disinterested. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll speak to Viola Nation writer Trevor Steins, who had a front row seat for this match. I'm joined now by Trevor Steins, who, as I said at the top of the episode, is a writer for Viola Nation, which is part of the SB Nation community of websites. Trevor, welcome to Fort Sanapoli. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is mine. So Viola Nation is a Fiorentina website. You're a Fiorentina fan. So the listeners might be wondering what you're doing on this podcast. <laughs> and while you're definitely a Fiorentina fan, I think it's safe to say that you're a Serie A fan as well and, and a fan of Italian football in general. Uh, you've written recently about the national team at the Euros. I've seen you've written about Venezia and Salernitana and always, of course, from a Fiorentina angle. But the reason I wanted to bring you on is because you happen to be based in Poland. And as a fan of Italian football, you had a front row seat for the match on Wednesday between Vizla Krakow and Napoli. I'm not going to ask you for tactical analysis or anything like that. I've already covered that in part one. I'm more interested in getting a feel for the environment the excitement at the stadium and just the general opinion of Italian football in Poland. But let's start with why you were at the match in the first place. As I said, you're a Fiorentina fan. Fiorentina were not playing, so why were you there? And in a front row seat, no less. Yeah, it was literally a front row seat uh, on the sideline. Well, I missed going to the matches, first of all. Just, I mean, I used to go to Fiorentina games. I used to live in Florence, so going to the games is, you know, it's just completely different to, to watching on TV. So with the whole COVID situation, it's been a long time since I've been able to to travel or even go to a match or even here in Poland. So when I saw like two weeks ago, I think they announced the game that Napoli was coming and, you know, it's an Italian team, Serie A team. I was just, okay, I'm getting a ticket straight away. That was it. <laughs> 
it looks like you weren't the only one that was excited to watch this match on on the screen. It looked like the uh, Stadion Henrika Reymana, which seats about thirty three thousand people, I think, was near capacity, if not at capacity. What was that environment like? Well, at the moment, it's fifty uh, percent capacity is the restrictions. So they sold. They announced they sold over sixteen thousand. So I guess that's kind of the limits of what they could sell. So, which I think is is pretty good for you know a friendly game. Plus, considering the price, I mean, compared to a league game in Poland, a competitive game, it was like, this game was double the price. More or less, it was like ninety zloty, which I paid for my ticket, which is about thirty Canadian dollars, maybe. And usually, it's half the price for that. So it was, yeah, it was a pretty good crowd. Um, the atmosphere they created, it, it didn't seem like it was for a friendly game, you know. Yeah, I noticed that. Well, first of all, on on fifty percent capacity, that gives me optimism because obviously, as you know, Seti is talking about admitting 50% of fans back in for this season it might end up being 33 just because of uh, the physical distancing that's required in the stadiums. But it it felt like, at least watching it on, on TV, it felt like a pretty full house. So that's that's good to know that even at 50% capacity, the, the crowd is, is very much a factor. It, it certainly seemed like the fans were enjoying themselves, especially after the home team scored the first goal. And, you know, we saw the you could see the smoke on the screen from the flares that were going off. I guess at one end of the pitch, I saw a fair amount of Napoli shirts in the crowd as well. Was there a strong contingent of Napoli fans there? Uh, from where I was sitting, I, I did see one or two Napoli jerseys close to where I was, but it's hard to tell around the rest of the stadium. But the ultras behind the goal, they those flares were... They started off as soon as the the game kicked off, before the goal. Really, they had already lit the flares, and there was smoke. And it was only when the smoke cleared you realized, oh, I can actually, you know, see the pitch now again. It was uh, it was actually great atmosphere. You know, when when you haven't been to a game in so long, as soon as I took my seat, and you know, the flares started going and the songs, and it was it was just like being back at a a proper game. And I heard. Um, Luciano Spalletti spoke after the game and he said it was it was good to play in, you know, well, he said it was a full house and a great atmosphere. So they got used to, you know, playing with an away crowd again, which which may be important when they when they get back to to playing in Italy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll be useful if if we are going to have fans back in stadiums. That's probably what you're going to expect from uh, from the home crowd when we're the visiting team. So we connected by chance because an Apple fan reached out to me on Twitter to see if there were any bars to watch the game at. So I tweeted that out and you were gracious enough to respond. And you mentioned in your response that most Polish Napoli fans would probably be at the match. So it's certainly not surprising that there were Napoli shirts in the crowd. I imagine the big draw for this match for a lot of uh, Polish fans was Piotr Zielinski, who's arguably the brightest Polish player currently playing in Serie A. Would you agree with that? Is Do you think that was a big reason for a lot of the people attending? I would think so, definitely. Especially, I mean, most of the you know the top players like Insigne, Di Lorenzo, we knew they weren't going to be there after the Euros. Um, Ossiman pulled out with a late injury. But yeah, I think the fact that Jelinski was there, um, I think if he hadn't been playing, it would have been a big disappointment for the fans there. But um, yeah, he got a, he got a really good reception from the fans as well. Like when he went off, the whole stadium like 
applauded him. So, um, you know, it's not like he's a former FISWA player or anything. He never actually played in the Polish top division. He was only 17, I think, when he went to Italy. So, yeah, and he spoke after the match as well to Polish television because they, they showed the match here on, on one of the channels. And he spoke after the game and he, he seemed to really enjoy it. He seemed like he, when I was watching him during the game, like he really wanted to score. He was, <laughs> you know, he was just trying as best he could. But I think, yeah, definitely he was a big draw. And I saw when, when he went off, there was about 20 minutes left when they made like five substitutions. They brought off, you know, Politano. Most of the, the main guys came off, Koulibaly. But he was sitting beside on the opposite side of the pitch from where I was. Just he was sitting beside the bench, and he was he spent most of the time signing autographs for the crowd behind him. They were just passing shirts and everything. I don't know if they were Napoli fans or or Polish Wisła fans, but yeah, he seemed he seemed to enjoy it. Yeah, I heard that after the match, he spent a fair bit of time uh, signing shirts and and whatnot, which is nice to see it. I was hoping he would score because I was curious to see how the, the crowd would react to that when he get cheered. I, when Politano scored, you almost didn't even know because it was pretty quiet. But uh, I was curious to see if, if Zielinski scored, how they how the people would react. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but our Prima Veda keeper, Hubert Dasiak, who came on uh, in the final maybe five minutes of the match, he's Polish as well. And I thought that was a class move by Spalletti to give him a few minutes. He's only, I think, 19 years old. So he gave him a few minutes to play in front of his home country. As you mentioned, unfortunately, we didn't bring too many star players to this match. Uh, you, you mentioned the players at the Euros that weren't quite fit yet. I know you were hoping to see Victor Osman, who we kept back for precautionary reasons. Were you disappointed that these players weren't there? Or was it just exciting to see a Serie A club live anyways, and it didn't matter that much? Yeah, I mean, I I, I knew when once they announced the match that, you know, Insigne Di Lorenzo probably weren't going to be back for that. I was disappointed. I'd seen Ossiman against Bayern scored a couple of goals and I thought, oh, okay, this will be, it'll be nice to see him in action live. But just, I think the day before the game, they, they announced the squad. So it was disappointing. But once I was there, um, I don't think it really mattered. As I said, the fans were, they were really up for it. You know, it didn't seem like, like a friendly to the, the ultras there even when you know Politano was taking the penalty they were whistling and when they were taking corners but no I think if Jelinski had scored I think I think he would have got a good reaction you know for judging from the reaction when he went off the pitch he seems to be quite a favorite in in Poland understandably yeah for sure I imagine there were others there who like yourself are not Napoli fans but are Serie A fans I mean there's a pretty strong contingent of Polish players currently playing in Serie A. Actually, I looked it up. There's a disproportionate amount of very good keepers right now. We have, you know, Wojtek Szczesny at Juventus, Bartolomei Drogowski at Fiorentina. Of course, you're probably a big fan of his. Uh, Lucas Skorupski at Bologna and in the outfield, Karol Linetti at Torino, Bartosz Berzinski at Sampdoria, Sebastian Balukiewicz at uh, Hellas Verona, Filip Jagiello at Genoa. The list goes on. There's even a couple in, in Serie B with uh, Mariusz Stepinski on loan at Lecce, Camille Glick still with Benevento. And those are just the current players. There's a long history of very good Polish players playing in Serie A. Would you say that Serie A is popular in Poland for that reason because of all these Polish players? I would say that's definitely definitely a, a good reason it, it is it is quite popular here it's it's shown on uh, 11 sports they have the rights to the the games here and they've been showing it for the last five six seasons and i think they've just renewed again for another few seasons that's that's where i usually watch the games and they show 
a lot of games over the weekend, like not just one or two, but most of the time slots they would have uh, most of the games on. So, yeah, as you said, I mean, nearly every club in, in Syria has, has a Polish player there. I think it's a cheap league maybe to get players from as well. Actually, Wisła have just one of their players. Oh, he's a young guy, 18-year-old. He went to Genoa. Buxa, I think his name is Alexander Buxa, and he left on a free transfer because he hadn't renewed his contract. Um, so he's just gone to Genoa. Probably won't see him this season, but you know he may go on loan somewhere, which happens to a lot of you know. Chilinski went on loan to Empoli. Trangovski went on loan to Empoli, and that's where they became fixtures, kind of in Syria. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of interest in in Poland, and I, I would say it's because of the amount of Polish players that are there. Yeah, it's been like that for the last few seasons, I think. Yeah, that's great. I was going to ask you if matches are broadcast, so clearly they are. If you wanted to, for you specifically as a Fiorentina fan, are you able to watch every match by some other means, if maybe some sort of subscription-based, if if you're not, if it doesn't happen to be one of the matches that are broadcast? Uh, there's always a way to watch it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say a, a subscription way, but yeah, there's... Sure. But as I said, most of the games are, are shown here. The different times, like Sunday evening, Saturday evening, but even at on a Sunday afternoon when there's a few games on, they usually they have four channels, I think, and they may show two or three of them. So it's it's very rare that a Fiorentina game or Napoli game would not be actually live. So it, it's pretty good that way. Awesome. Well, that's great, Trevor. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. No problem. Anytime. Thank you. And you can follow Trevor on Twitter at Steins Trevor, and you can find all of Trevor's writing at violanation.com. So that will do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back next week to review our friendly on Sunday against Ascoli, but until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Network.